Chapter 3 Street of Sorrows Fighting with those silly boys had taken too much time. Now Kyla had to race to get ahead of her mark. Her frantic course over the rooftops filled her limbs with buzzing energy. It was pure aliveness, and she loved it. Her irritation with the boys faded as she ran. Her irritation with herself was slower to recede. There had been two of them. One had kept to the shadows and alleys, while the other had trailed the mark on the street. She should have expected that. After all, she wouldn't be alone if Wen weren't sick. Uh, She needed to stop thinking about those scoundrels. There was a job to do. She came to a stop on the first floor overhang of a boarding house right where the Street of Sorrows ended at the Harridan Gate. The street narrowed here and made a slight jog to the right where it entered the long, low tunnel. The so-called gate wasn't blocked by any doors or portcullises. The name had come down through the centuries following an uprising against Queen Dury. The rebellious citizenry had thrown up a barricade in this spot to keep the queen's forces from coming into Terracide. Those who despised her had circulated leaflets calling Dury the Harridan Queen. The barrier was swiftly demolished, but the people continued to call the passage by its new name, the Harridan Gate. Today it was a long arch-roofed carriageway where two buildings connected over the street. The resulting tunnel was dank, smelling always of stale wine and urine. Nobody liked going through it, but it was the only way to Grissonside. Satisfied that she was hidden in deep shadow, Kyla knelt on the overhang. She was soaked to the skin, and the night was growing colder. She needed to roll this fellow and get back to the den and out of these wet clothes. No sign of her mark, though, and not a hint of song in the air. Maybe he'd worn out his throat. Maybe he was too winded to continue singing. Starside was a steep city, built in tiers ascending from the docks. From Cheapsgate to Grissonside was a five-mile journey, uphill. The bell of the Cathedral of Till let out a single sonorous gong. Kyla leaned out to look down the street. Had she missed him? She didn't see how that would be possible along this stretch of the sorrows. It was mostly tidy, shoulder-to-shoulder shops, a couple of turrets thrust up from the larger inns. Impatience tempted her to drop to the street and backtrack to see if he'd passed out. She cut off that impulse. Her sprint along the roofway had filled her with so much energy, she wasn't sensing the passage of time accurately. A lesson learned long ago. She took hold of a bit of decorative filigree on the boarding house wall so she could lean further out. The drop was enough to break her legs, but she wasn't afraid of heights. In fact, she loved being up high, especially when she knew she couldn't be seen. Her foot slipped an inch, her breath caught. She pulled back from the ledge, heart skipping. She hadn't been in true danger of falling, but her body didn't know that. The buzzing aliveness rushed up to sizzle in her ears. And then it happened. The thing. After all that straining and grasping, suddenly it happened by itself. The Mercus vision came over her. First came the dizziness and the doubling of all she could see. The noise of raindrops striking shingles and paving stones increased to a loud hiss. Then other sounds came to her, the runoff gurgling through gutters and downspouts, of the breeze bending over rooftops, of buildings creaking and settling all around her. Then came the smells, the fishy odor of cheapskate blending with chimney smoke and the tang of the tanneries. This all mixed with the smell of wet paving stones and the sweat of her own skin. 
She knelt and supported herself with her hands. She knew what was coming next. It always overwhelmed her as much as it thrilled her. The doubled vision resolved to perfect, crisp unity. The sounds and smells remained, but each became distinct. And then the metal around her began to glow. First came the reddish aura of copper rain gutters on the buildings across the way. Then came the ruddier, grimmier light of iron grates covering the sewer drains in the street. Then the brass door lashes at shop entries. Objects that weren't in her line of sight popped into view. The great bell atop the Cathedral of Till hovered like an occluded sun off to her right. So, too, did the brass lanterns and pewter candlesticks in the boarding house behind her. She took all this in, frozen still. She witnessed it all through the mind of a babe, innocent to language itself. Sensation washed over her, filling her nose and eyes and ears with sparkling wonder. The Mercus vision had come to her only three times before— Each time it had followed a moment of danger, a moment when the buzzing in her bones exploded into her mind. Her quarry's footsteps were crisp and distinct to her now. She heard him grunt as he shifted his burden on his shoulder, heard him sigh and belch softly. And then he appeared, moving much more slowly than before. His hood was pushed back now. His hair was white in the Mercus streetlights, his skin porcelain. He was one of the Keel brothers not a radiant sun. So why was he coming this way? The Keel Great House was a half mile south. He should have turned off onto Harbor Prospect. No time to speculate. He was right beneath her. He stopped and set down his sack. With hurried motions, he unfastened his trousers. The sound of urine striking the wall crackled in her ears. Instinct guided her now. She dropped from the overhang, catching her hands on the ledge. She hung there for a moment, then released, falling the last distance in a belly-lifting plummet. Her feet struck stone, knees bending deep to absorb the impact. And then she was up, approaching her mark with confident steps. He was struggling to fasten up his trousers. He fumbled with a buckle. It glowed in bright silver in her Mercus vision. The buttons on his waistcoat were brass. He carried a small knife on his belt. No sign of coin, which was odd for one of his station. She kicked the back of his right knee. It folded. He fell back, flailing. She caught him under the arms, turning him and thrusting him face down into the paving stones. He was much heavier than she, but surprise gave her the edge. She drove her knee into his spine, then pressed her stolen dagger to the nape of his neck. Hold still. He froze. Her finger found the button holding his purse onto his belt. A practice twist and pull brought it free. Fine leather, but shamefully empty. Where's your coin, Keel? She rasped into his ear. I I don't have any. Just her luck. A son of the richest merchant in the city and his purse was busted. Forgot where you live, Keel? She asked. What? Why are you going to Grissonside? Think you can get a Radiance daughter to marry you? A Radiance what? Are, Are you a girl? She put more weight on his spine. What's in the sack? Nothing. Some old boots I was going to donate to the Abbey. At one bell morning, that was a lie. She glanced at the sack and then at the back of his head. His hair was like pewter now that it was wet. She pressed the point of the dagger into the skin behind his ear. Move and I'll cut it off, she said, slowly removing her knee from his back. I won't move. I won't. But she was already off of him. 
She grabbed the sack and sprinted away. The young man's yells arose behind her, incredibly loud to her Mercus heightened senses. Thief! Help! Murder! Kyla squeezed the sack tightly to her chest as she sprinted a block east, going downhill, then darted down an alley to a well-known roof climb behind a guild hall. Whatever was inside the bag, it was moving. An animal. Kyla sniffed at it. A pungent, wild odor came through the sailcloth. The wriggling wasn't too vigorous. Whatever it was, it had probably been in the sack a while. Kill's eyes. I had better not have wasted my night for a cheapskate chicken which was the polite name for seagull. Once safely hidden upon the roofway, she unfastened the tie and peered into the sack. There wasn't any light here, so she couldn't make out much. But a pair of green eyes looked back at her. She dropped the sack and backpedaled. Kills teeth, a domain! The sack wobbled for a moment, then a small gray head popped out. The eerie eyes fixed on her for a moment, then the whole beast appeared. Her instant fear gave way to confusion. She didn't know what the creature was. Despite its bedraggled state, the animal was well-proportioned. Standing on four legs, it recalled to mind a tiny dog. In the darkness, it was hard to make out much else. She knelt and tilted her head. Are you good to eat? She asked it. All this running had doubled her hunger. She wasn't much more than ribs herself. The animal blinked at her. It didn't seem afraid. In fact, it seemed mostly disgruntled. Its tail swished in sharp jerks. It had white feet and a streak of white from chin down the chest. It stepped toward her, tentative now. And no wonder, Kyla wouldn't forgive being stuffed in a sack either. Her eyelids grew heavy. She dropped from her crouch to sitting, insensible to the wetness seeping through the seat of her pants. The cold was closing in on her again. The animal came to within arm's reach. She snatched for it. The animal leapt straight up in the air, twisted mid-flight, and sprang away. Kyla scurried after it but it was gone. She looked in the sack, disconsolate. Kill be a merry maiden. What a crummy night. Now she had to go back to the den empty-handed. Not even a silver skillet to warm her palm. She didn't have enough copper plugs to pay the toll pails along the way, which meant she had to go against her honor and stiff them, or she had to go on the street. She scooped up the sack, thinking that at least she could show when she'd stolen something. He'd laugh at her, but he wouldn't blame her. He'd say something kind, like, You tried your best. Sometimes Paul frowns, no matter how skilled we are. The goddess of luck could go kiss a slubfish for all Kyla cared. The Mercus vision had vanished now, and she was glad of it. The long trek home was going to be bad enough as it was. She didn't need to hear every raindrop as it needled into her face. She climbed down from the roof and headed east, taking the switchbacks of the Street of Sorrows. The sound of boots behind spun her around. At first she thought it was the watch answering the keelboy's cries, and indeed a squad of armsmen was tromping downhill toward her. But they were behind a band of ten men in tan robes. Acolytes of Till. The worst. Anyone associated with the way of Till was not to be trusted, and there was a don'ts master with them. You there! Halt! shouted one of the armsmen. She slipped into a little shoulder-width alley between a cobbler shop and a dry goods store. At the end, she cut left, skittering down some rather slick stairs. There was no light here. Her hand glided over the old wood handrail. She didn't need light. Her feet knew the way. One of the acolytes knew it just as well. He called out for his friends to race to Old Turret, which was right where Kyla was going to come out. 
She flung the sack behind her and sprinted as hard as she could. And then her legs went rigid. Her heels juddered on the pavement. Her momentum carried her forward, arms locked mid-pump. She struck shoulder first, slid, and cartwheeled like a tossed plank. She flopped onto her spine. She couldn't move. Panic took control. Breath heaved in and out. She strained to move her limbs, but they were frozen in place. Footsteps approached. Heavy boots splashed puddles into her face, and thick hands took hold of her. She wanted to curse them, wanted to scream. Her mouth wouldn't move, not even her tongue. Bring her into the light, men, came a quiet masculine voice. It was stained with age. Had she been free to struggle, even four of these powerful armsmen would have had a job hauling her along. But now a single man carried her as easily and calmly as he might shoulder a cask of beer out of a cellar. The Mercus streetlight pierced her eyes as they came out onto the sorrows. Put her down. The wet street thumped against her back. She could only move her eyes. The Donesmaster stood right at the edge of her vision. He held a slender little rod in one hand. It seemed to glow a bit, or maybe that was just the Mercus light blooming in the mist. Stand back, armsmen, he ordered. I must consult with my acolytes. Soon she was surrounded by young men in tan robes, and at her head, bending to peer down at her, the Don'ts master. She wanted to kick his white-bearded chin, wanted to grab his long gray locks and pull them out of his scalp. He was using the mercus on her. I think it's a girl, he said, pursing his lips. Want me to check? said one of the acolytes. This produced a few laughs, but they cut off at a stern look from the Don'ts master. He squatted and gently curled a sodden lock from Kyla's brow. He smelled faintly of pipe smoke. He had wiry nose hairs. His hand was warm and dry as he pressed it to her forehead. Kyla's muscles were contracted still in her running posture, one arm slightly back, one slightly forward. Her right leg was bent up, locked mid-stride. As much as she wanted to lash out, she also couldn't relax a single fiber. It's her, the Donesmaster said, finally opening his eyes. His tone suggested disbelief. The seer will be delighted. He stood, knees popping. He let out a soft groan. Armsmen, do any of you have bindings? I must release her from the relic soon, or she'll be irreversibly damaged. Clanks and jingles of armor approached. An armsman pulled a bundle of thin leather cords from a pouch. He knelt and took hold of Kyla's raised wrist. He tried to twist her arm behind her back, but the Don'ts Master's Mercus relic kept her rigid as a statue. Her skin burned as he tried to force her arm. Hold a moment, the Don'ts Master said. I'll release her. He looked at his little rod and gave it a flick. Kyla's muscles released, and with it so was her fury. The armsman wasn't ready for it. She wriggled like a snake on fire. Her knuckles smashed his nose. He grunted and released her. Her rabid snarls drove the acolytes back, hiking the hems of their robes. The don'ts master fumbled to retrieve his rod from his belt. She scrabbled onto all fours and charged him, wrapping her arms around his knees. Grunting, she lifted him off his heels and drove his spine into the ground. His head gave a terrific crack. Kyla didn't pause to see if his eyes rolled up or if his scalp bloomed with blood. She was already sprinting back into the alley, up the stairs past the discarded sack. The cries of armsmen and acolytes grew hollow in the narrow passage behind her. The breadth of the sorrows was a brief flash of brightness as she raced to the safety of a shadowed side street. She pounded down the lane, scaled a fence, and dropped into somebody's garden. She trampled late autumn kale and squash, then hurtled the front gate. No shouts or sign of pursuit now, but she did not pause. 
Climbing the roofway, she leaped and sprinted toward lower terrace side. Going downslope, the roofs were successively lower, making the journey all the swifter. She vowed to come back later and pay the tolls once she had any copper to part with. For now, she accepted the debts out of necessity. The city's ring wall came closer and she deemed it was safe to slow down. There was no way those Tills boys and armsmen knew where she was now. She considered stopping and trying to use her Mercus vision. Maybe she could spot the glow of their armor and swords from afar. She decided against it. She was too wet, too cold, and too scared to stay out. Her cheek burned where it had scraped along the alley pavement. Her quilted shirt was black with greasy mud. It clung to her skin like paint. She angrily wiped tears away. She made her way to the sewer grate behind the Cherry Bottom Inn. She wouldn't dare to pass through the cheaps now. The safest route was a bit longer, but she'd take it. Through the sewers, under the wall, and into the slums of Cheapsgate. And with any luck, she'd be home before the bells struck two.